Sometimes young pastors will ask me for advice about how to run a church. I tell them, ministry isn't brain surgery. When brain surgeons ask for advice, I tell them, if you can avoid penetrating the medulla oblongata, you'll have a much better chance of maintaining serotonin levels. All right, what's up, Liquid? I want to welcome you to uh, our continuation of our little talk about cheating the church. And I'm uh, Pastor Tim. If I haven't met you, and last week I made this stunning confession that sometimes I cheat the church. That's you guys. I apologize. Uh, now, before you run off, you post that on Facebook and stuff. Uh, I want to I I break this down because we're not talking about embezzlement. We're not talking about adultery or the stuff you typically associate with cheating. Uh, but it's actually something I do for the good of the relationships in my life um, that I value most, um, the people I love the most, including you, actually. Um, and the principle of godly cheating has been so life-changing for me I wanted to teach you how to do that at your place of work or wherever it is you spend your time during the week. Um, if you remember, we had looked in the book of Daniel, chapter 1. You can take your Bible and turn there, page 615. And we saw how at some point in your life, um, every adult with a job and people counting on them, they're going to be forced to choose who to cheat. In Daniel's context, he was a young man when he was hauled off to Babylon. You remember this? King Nebuchadnezzar basically destroyed Jerusalem in 605 B.C. They carried off the Hebrew young men and they brought them back to Babylon where they taught them a new culture. They'd make them slaves. They'd indoctrinate these guys, give them a new name, a new language, and train them to serve the Babylonian king. And Daniel, we saw, and his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, good, we were the first guys in line. And Daniel 1, verse 5 says this, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. And this is where Daniel faced a dilemma, because the food and wine from the king's table was the food that had been offered to pagan gods or to idols. And the, and the Babylonians, they'd give these, this food to the, the, the pagan gods, the idols, and they would eat the leftovers as a way of saying these are the gods responsible for the power and strength and wisdom in our life. Anything good that happens, we're eating the food that's associated with these gods. And Daniel said, uh-uh, that's where I draw the line. You can change my name, change my clothes, change my language, but you're not going to change my God. I will not compromise my commitment to the God of Israel. And if you see verse 8, it says, but Daniel, what's the word? Resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And this is a very bold decision. Because if you are in a culture like ours, there is pressure to conform to its expectations. It was very intense. The king could have had Daniel's head for not following orders, so he's caught between a rock and a hard place. And he can't have it both ways. So he has to decide, who am I going to be loyal to? Who am I going to obey? The earthly king or my heavenly father? Now what we said is that in our context, it's not about the food or the wine that you're going to consume, but how we're going to in many ways spend our time. That's one aspect of it. Because as adults, our culture typically puts pressure on us to spend the majority of our prime time into our work. We're the, the prime cut of our time or energies making our king, that would be our boss, your employer, happy. He's typically king in your world. And the question is, will we prioritize our time in a way that honors God by putting him in our family first? Biblical priorities. Last week we acknowledged, you really can't do both. Remember I asked how many hours would it take you to get everything done at work, to fill all the little love tanks if you have kids as a parent, or, or your spouse to feel completely loved and everything. It would be impossible to be all things to all people at all the time. So you wind up cheating somebody. All of us cheat. 
And by default, we typically cheat the people in our lives who we think will be most understanding. Uh, What I confess to you is that I did that to my wife, Colleen, when we launched this church uh, back in 2007. Um, I was working six or seven days a week, putting all sorts of hours, really to the neglect of my wife and kids. And I thought it would get better. I made promises, but it got worse. And my wife got short, the short end of the stick. She was kind of left alone to raise the kids so I could focus on this baby. And my work invaded every hour of our, li- of our lives. I would bring my laptop to bed. Who does it? Raise guilty hands. I would take phone calls during dinner. I'd text while the kids were in school. I was pretty much dialed in 24-7 to work, which meant I was tuned out to the needs of my family most of the time. And one day, that all came crashing down when Colleen really broke down on her living room couch crying. And, uh, and that's when I knew something was wrong, because she is a high-capacity woman. She works part-time uh, herself during the week in addition to keeping house and kids, and I'd never seen her that way. Honestly, the tears on her face, the, it was the hurt in her eyes that just, like, stunned me. I knew, like, this is not just, like, about being late. She was numb to my promises to do better as a husband, because she was like, I heard it. I've heard it before. And she knew it wasn't about just getting my, my affairs in order. It was about the fact that I wasn't, her words, having an affair with my work because ministry had become my mistress. I was cheating on my wife with another woman called the church. <laughs> she was getting all my time, my devotions, my passion, my heart, my energies, and my wife felt cheated. And it probably, honestly, was the lowest point in our 10 years of wedded bliss. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Exposed, okay? That's the worst. This is what happens when we give our loyalty to our work over those we love or have responsibilities to. We may, you know, we, we do that, we assure them, hey, you're number one, you know, kind of you're number one, but what they feel is another story. So if you say to your, you know, your kids, hey, I'd love to be at your recital, sweetheart, I totally buy, but I can't miss this meeting at work, you're verbally saying you're important, but what she really feels is my job is more important than you. And that's where the disconnect is for most of us. If you're in a relationship, if you have children, your spouse or kids, they know your heart, but they feel your schedule. So everybody in this room at some point cheats. And the question is, you remember this? Where do you cheat? Who do you cheat? And most importantly, who feels cheated? We likened it to this rock. Remember this? We said uh, when we ask people in our lives who we love just to kind of hold on, it's like if I asked you to hold this rock out here, and you'd be like, okay, I love you, I trust you, I want to help you, so yeah, I'll hold this thing. And if I walked away and you just kept holding that thing, and you'd be like, when is Tim going to get back here? And I'd come back, how are you doing with that? Okay, you know, just hang on, okay. And you walked away. At some point, it doesn't matter how much you love me, trust me, want to help me. At some point, your physical limitations are going to overtake your mental willingness. Again, you see my arm shaking. Now it's getting really tired by this thing. Watch out in the first row. And at some point you say, Tim, keep go for it. I'm holding on, I'm holding on. But at some point, you just can't hold it together any longer. And it all comes crashing to the floor. That's what happens in a relationship when we take advantage of those who are most understanding in our lives. And the problem is sometimes that rock shatters, and it can't be put back together. You know this. Many of you know what this is like when the rock drops. It's painful. Last week was awesome because a woman came up to me uh, after this message at this service, and she said, uh, Pastor Tim, uh, she was there with her husband. They had two little kids. And uh, she said, Pastor, she says, we are living examples of what happens when you cheat. 
She said, come over here. And her husband was like, yeah, it's true. <laughs> and she said, he worked, at one point he was working 60 hours. He played football with his buddies on the weekend. And on top of it, he played bass in two worship bands. And he gave all of his time and energies, and, she, and he left me holding the bag at home. And I looked over at him, and he's just like, it's true. <laughs> I did it and everything. And she said, so, Pastor, I agree with everything you said, but there's just one thing I don't agree with. Sometimes when that woman is left holding the rock, if you make her hold it too long, she doesn't drop the rock. Sometimes she throws it at the man. And she goes, I'm sorry. She goes, I'm Latino. I feel very strongly about this. And, uh, and the, it was great because her husband said, uh-huh. She threw my bass. She threw my amp. She threw my guitar. She literally threw it out the front door of the house. And she said, oh, this was a highlight in our marriage. And he looked at it with big eyes. He goes, I got it loud and clear. <laughs> Again, better you cheat the church than you cheat your family. That's why we don't burn people out when you volunteer on teams because we're like, you know what? Your priority is to your family at home. Before it is to the family at this church, that's the overflow of it. That's the order God lays out in his word. Remember this? Our first priority, God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Then your spouse. If you're single, we're just talking about your family. You don't have to have kids. If you have them, we're just talking about your family. And then work is a distant fourth. Work is a gift, okay? It's not bad to invest yourself in the work. I still do. But when it becomes all-consuming, even if that's like a hobby or going to the gym or exercising, marathon, whatever it is you do, that's when we begin conforming to the culture and we compromise our commitment to God. Let me ask you, does your schedule reflect those priorities? I'm not asking do you agree with them, okay? But does your daytimer reflect them? <laughs> What it means is if you look at your calendar or your computer or wherever you keep your, you know, your schedule, that's what tells the truth, honestly, regardless of what you think your priorities are. The reality is we make the most time for the people and things we love the most. That's just a simple fact. What story would your calendar tell? Daniel, his story tells us something incredible. When you choose to cheat the right person, here in chapter 1, we're going to see this young man, he makes this courageous decision to swim upstream against the culture. He defies it. And I understand, you know, he's like, everyone drinks the king's food and wine. That's normal, and it might be nice for me, but I'm going to do it. Do not underestimate the courage, the spiritual boldness this takes this young guy to do this thing. They could have had his head. And you may think, well, if, if I cut back at work, man, they'll have my job. But this is where it gets good. Look at this with me. When we take steps to bring our priorities in line with our Heavenly Father, he takes over. He takes responsibility for our relationships, for our work in all the arenas. And I want to show you how to do that today. Just real nitty-gritty details so you can walk away with some tools to right your boat if it's out of balance. There are really three principles we see here starting in verse 8 um, that are relevant if you want to work this in your life. Um, in this context, it's counterintuitive. Losers aren't cheaters. <laughs> the ones who learn how to cheat in a way that honors God, as Daniel does here, they're the ones who win. And the first thing you need to be willing to do if you're taking notes is make a resolution. Not a New Year's resolution, but notice it says, but Daniel, what's that word? Resolve. Some translations say made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the royal food and wine. In other words, he made up his mind to draw a boundary before he said, even before I know how this is going to work out, even if I know if the king is going to go along with this, I am going to do this no matter what. And the idea here, guys, is just before you take a single step or you decide, you know, this is practical, we make a resolution. It's a spiritual boundary in the heart. It's urgent. I'm going to do whatever this takes for those I love ahead of my work so that they feel and have no doubts what position they occupy on my list of priorities. And this is hard. This is hard. 
Because we know the outcome of the story. But Daniel made this resolution before he knew what would happen. And he said, I'm going to obey God, you know, no matter what it costs me. And here's the deal. It may cost some of you to get this right. It cost me, and that's what I'm going to tell you about. I am very glad that Colleen and I had that smash-up um, early on in ministry because, quite honestly, I'd rather it cost me up front than cost me my marriage down the line. Uh, over the last two years, I've made a number of uh, resolutions that bring, have kind of brought our life, our family life, back to balance uh, in, in, to order God's priorities. Here's the deal. I hesitate to use that word resolutions because that's like synonymous with like good intentions, no follow-through. So these are more like boundaries that Colleen and I have established together. They're unique to our family's life. You may have a different situation. Maybe you're a single mom. Maybe you have no kids. It doesn't matter. But these are boundaries that we set up, and we've held to them for the better portion of two years. And uh, honestly, in order to be faithful to my family, they have been transformational. Um, and this is how I intentionally cheat my work, and my work, of course, is the church. And, and the first one is very simple. I don't work or meet with people on Friday or Saturday. Because that's our Sabbath. You guys know what a Sabbath is? Most people think Sabbath is Sunday. It comes from the Old Testament, Exodus 20. It's actually one of the ten suggestions. Remember? No. The ten what? Commandments. You will honor the Sabbath. There needs to be a day where you do no work. And the Bible's like, here's the reason why. In six days, God did his work, and then he what? Rested. You bigger than God? No. Take a rest. Chill pill. The Sabbath was a day set aside for rest and for worship. And God says, you know what? You're a human being. You're a human being, not always doing. And you do need some unhurried time every week. I rested on the seventh day, and, and, and that's where we get this idea of the, the weekend. And if you're an entrepreneur or you have workaholic tendencies, you are, you're heavily caffeinated, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, when I launched this church, I was not only working six days. I was cheating on the seventh, laptop to bed. I was always on. But the Sabbath actually says slow down. Don't kick into high gear. Put it into low and admit you are dependent on God. If he doesn't show up, you're sunk. So here's a practical question for you. Do you have a Sabbath, a true Sabbath? Because it's a command, it's not a suggestion from God, and it's very counter to our 24-7 fast-paced culture. Typically, I work Sunday through Thursday, and uh, Friday and Saturday are pretty much just family time. There are two days back-to-back where my family gets all of me, so I don't do email I don't hook up for coffee. Obviously, that limits my availability, so I want to apologize uh, to some of you who find my schedule kind of frustrating. It is. And in some ways, I'll just be candid. I, I'm, in some ways, I'm cheating you because I'm taking time that I would love to spend with others in giving it to God and my family first. And I want to thank those of you who I know, you know, who know me well for being so understanding about that. The life of a pastor is kind of weird. People are like, so what do you do all week? Just kind of pray in the back? Uh, yeah, you know, just download the sermon on Saturday. Just, you know... <laughs> Sunday is the Sabbath day for most people. They end up on the couch watching football, but it's like killer uh, day for most pastors. And that's why I work on Mondays because I'm pretty much just a crispy critter. My brain is mushed on Monday morning. I'm not going to give that. So I'm in the office about two days every week in the beginning, Monday and Tuesday, just meeting with staff and volunteers in between other meetings. And the other two days are in the library. It's about 100% just reading, writing, research to this Sunday sermon. So if you need to catch me, Sunday is pretty much it. And that's hard because I am a people person. Can you tell? I love being with people, and I'd love to meet with more people, but I've realized, you know what? To be helpful to you guys, there are three things I can do really well. The first is to be the best husband to Colleen and father to my kids as I can because it's a job that only I can do. No one else can do that. The second is to give you the best Bible teaching that I can on Sundays because that's my primary role. And the third is to lead our leaders as best I can, even though I wish I had more time for that. 
That's a, that's a main resolution we have, kind of, and it's changed my world a little bit. A second resolution I've had to make is I don't answer every email uh, I get. I can't. Uh, actually, I could, but it means I'd be texting you from home while I'm honestly just in the bathroom, and that'd be weird. Uh, I don't do that anymore. I get about uh, over 100 emails uh, every day, and you know, it maybe seem, seem like a quick thing, like you know, pinging back a quick response, but the deal is this. It robs my family of being fully there. You ever be with people who, like, you're talking on the phone and, you're, and you hear them, and you're like, are you listening? Yeah, uh-huh. Is my head on fire? Yeah, uh-huh. And you're like, what are you doing? What? And then they stop. I have done that too many times with my family. Honestly, one time I was, where this came home to me, I had my little boy, five years old, we're on the playground, he's doing the swings. Dad, watch me on the swings. Oh, watch me on the swings. And I'm just doing some texting and everything, you know, I was doing the swings. Thing. And he jumped off the swing for the first time ever and landed like that. And he said, Dad, did you see? And I said, huh, what? Missed it. And I said, that will never happen again. Because he knew I missed it, and I knew I missed it, and it's a small, tiny thing but it symbolizes something much bigger because that's a moment there. That's a moment to be sharing. I've actually um, thought about declaring email bankruptcy at times. Uh, you ever see that where you get too many and you get so far behind? So typically I don't always you know, tweet stuff or get on Facebook, so I miss out on a bunch of stuff, but, but I read every email that I get. You understand? Just I want to make sure you hear that. I read every email I get because I want to stay in touch. I want to celebrate what God's doing. I read them, but a lot of times campus pastors will get on the requests and the things unique to their campus. Um, the third resolution when the rock dropped in my family after my wife, everything just kind of shattered, was we decided I'm not going to go to every event. <laughs> and that's very hard for me because I am a people person. I was at a, a party uh, last week uh, with Dan and Debbie and life group leaders at their house. It was awesome. Our life groups are awesome. It was energizing. I came home like buzzing like I had four cups of coffee. Uh, and it's hard to actually say, you know what, I can't make something because my family and I have decided, you know what just works for us? Typically, I'm out one night a week. Once, once in a while, there'll be an exception to that. But for the most part, it's one night a week, and that's it. Um, and that's really typically Thursday night with Pastor Tom. We kind of go over the message. We call it Thursday night gospel, uh, and we stay as late as we want. Colleen says, I'll see you Friday morning, but just be all there. And I know what she means by that. So when I, when I wake up on Friday, it's great because my little boy comes in. You know what he actually says? This is great. He goes, he goes, Daddy, is it Sabbath time? Think about that. Where did you, when I grew up in church, I was like, oh, Sabbath, I got a headache. I can't make it, Mom. I'm sleeping late. I'm sick. My little boy goes, is it Sabbath yet? That's how he's growing up. That like just, my heart, something about that because he knows his daddy is 100% his on the Sabbath. How does your heavenly father feel about you when you make time for him like that? You're all his, 100%. Do you have a Sabbath? To make that happen, I've had to trust and empower other leaders. And that means letting go of a lot of stuff. And that's tough. Um, because I specifically, it's your, really your campus pastors. I mean, we have a world-class staff. Can we hear it for the guys who, uh, who do a great job? Awesome job. Fantastic, fantastic guys. Um, even though I don't do a lot of one-on-one -on -one meetings or weddings, funerals, that kind of stuff much anymore, they do. In fact, that's one of the reasons that we've set up the church this way. It's not to make my family feel better, but to provide better care for you, for the church family. Um, pastors Tom, Mike, Bill, Dave, there's like four Daves. These guys are phenomenal hearts. You know this. You know they love Jesus, they love our church, and they love you. I hope you can tell that. And they've made themselves available to meet one-on-one, -on -one, celebrate key moments, whether it's, you know, new baby at the hospital, wedding. You will, and when you talk to them, I don't know if you found this, but you will, like, be hard-pressed to find a better listening ear than, like, Pastor Tom. If you are wrestling with issues with God, if you have theological questions, he is the man. 
Uh, Pastor Mike in New Brunswick, right? I mean, it's rare to find a guy who's that sensitive, like the gentle giant. He has an incredible EQ, and he loves helping people, particularly who are in Christ. So is Pastor Bill. He loves your kids and the families. And the, and the point is, I trust these men with my own family. And I trust your spiritual care to their love and counsel. And, and here's the dirty secret. I'll just get totally honest. And Cindy, you're going to nod to this one, right? To be pr- this is called exposed, so I'm just going to be totally just right here. You are better off meeting with one of them than you are with me. Um, I know it feels like a lot of times, like, you know, we kind of know each other, obviously, because we're here every week. But here's the truth. I'm a lousy counselor. And it's not because, like, I skipped that course in seminary or something or I lack insight. It's because I lack patience. It's one of the reasons I speak, avail- you know, I speak a mile a minute. That's great for preaching, very helpful, not so much for counseling. You've got to have big ears. You've got to have a heart that's patient and everything. And I, Pastor Dave, big ears in every sense. So does Tom, so does Mike, so does Rick. So please hear this. I trust their leadership 100%, and I trust their care for you 110%. So take advantage of it. They are here to care and shepherd you. Over the, those, are, that's, those, are just, those are the resolutions that have changed the way Colleen and I interact our family's life. Four things. What about the Sabbath? Question for you. Where do you need to slow down? I've learned to say no to things. What do you need to say no to? <laughs> and third, I've learned to trust and empower other people. That's a question. At your work, at your school or home, what do you need to hand off? Is there something that you could delegate so you can concentrate on the things that only you can do? I need to tell you, letting go has been a process for me, uh, because not just because I'm a control freak, uh, but early on in ministry, I just assumed like I had to do it all. You ever feel that way? I was like, I've got to put out the Bibles, preach the sermon, meet with people afterwards, and the truth is I'm not that competent. I do like a few things well, and by God's grace, he's helped me see the value of letting go and letting God use others and use their leadership gifts, many of which dwarf mine candidly. And you know what? I'm healthier for it. My family's healthier for it. And guess what? We as a church family are healthier for it together. I don't see this as a weakness. I see it as one of our greatest strengths. So the first thing Daniel teaches is you need to resolve. You need to make up your mind, in your heart, say no to certain things for the sake of something better. Daniel did not let the threat of uh, what might happen keep him from making a bold choice. And once he made up his mind, he comes up with a plan. And this is hilarious because it's a terrible plan. Catch this. I'm serious. Catch this. He decides to ask his captors who just like wiped out Jerusalem, killed his parents, if they'd make an exception for him. Look at this in Daniel 8. He resolved not to defile himself, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Basically, if you've ever watched like an episode of Oz or one of those prison shows, he goes up to the prison warden, the big muscular guy with the the hood and the sword, and he says, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I have a favor. I know everyone else has got to eat the food and wine, and the king expects me to, but can can I have a pass? Could I be an exception to the rule? And this is nuts. Because you've kind of expect the Babylonian captor to kind of slice his head off because Daniel was a peon. He was a slave. He had no power. He was disposable. Maybe you feel that way at work. But he had one little thing going for him. Two little words that begin verse 9. Look at verse 9. Let's read this together. I love this. Two words. Read it together. Ready? Now God... Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. Now God. Not before, 
but now God. You ever notice that God likes to wait until the, we make up our mind before he moves an inch powerfully on our behalf? This is what Andy Stanley calls the now God factor. And it's the thing you cannot factor in until after the fact. Because some of you are saying, hey, Tim, this is a nice little story. And you're a nice little pastor and everything. And you're a little cheat the church thing. Um, but here's the deal. It's totally different in my life. You don't know my office. You don't know my boss. Man, my line of work. And you know what? You tell me that I don't understand your unique industry. And in many ways, you are right. And I probably don't. But let me tell you something that you may not understand or perceive right now. Now, God. When you take a bold step in your life to set your priorities in line with the priorities of your Heavenly Father, you have no idea what He is able and willing to do on your behalf. In your work, in your family, in your marriage, if you give Him space to do it. It honestly it comes down to this. Will you say, God, I'm no longer willing to cheat those who love me most and need me most in my life, so I'm intentionally going to sacrifice things at work, and I'm asking you to fill in gaps when I come up short in my career. Do you think he would be willing to do it? Two words. Now, God. You have no idea what he will be willing to do. When you take radical steps, um, no matter what it costs you, and I had a lot of fears doing some of these things, you'll be surprised what God does. I've honestly come to believe that I get more work done nowadays in less time than ever before in my life. People who've made this decision will say, I don't understand it, Tim. I, like, I cut back at work, and I now have more business than I can keep up with. It's crazy. I started putting my family first, and this opportunities kept dropping in my lap. I don't understand it. People in work think I have like an inside track or something. It's amazing. No, it's called now God. And that's just on the business side. On the domestic front, things are better as well. Men will tell me, Tim, for the first time in my life, first time in my life, I actually enjoy going home. I look forward to going home. My wife, she's actually happy to see me. Yeah, now God. It's called, what's the word here? It's called favor. When we re rearrange your life and you bring your affections in line with God's priorities, he honors your sacrifice in unexpected ways. Um, I'm just going to admit to you, when I first started making adjustments in, um, that benefited my family first, I worried how it would impact this church. And it did. It did in many ways. <laughs> Things grew faster. <laughs> Things grew deeper as I cut back. Last year, we had 181 people baptized at Liquid. Can we hear it for that? That's an amazing thing. Because when you think about that, we had some goals, like we want to see people come to Christ. But that means somebody basically every other day made a commitment for Jesus Christ for eternity. That's incredible. Do you know why that happened? Now, God. Not now, Tim, it is directly attributable to the work of the Holy Spirit, not the strength of men. It's a very funny thing. The less I do, and the more I love on my wife and my kids in the church, in that order, the more God does in our church family. Now God. Some of you are sitting here right now, and you're like, I don't know if I buy this. I, I want so badly for you to just experience the goodness and freedom of what it is to have God just open up arenas in your life and work through his strength and not yours. Okay, whether it's business or real estate or even if you're at school or stay home now, the, God, the now God factor is huge. But it does not happen, it will not happen when you operate with the attitude, well, my work, my, my business, this church will survive only unless I... Let me ask you a question right now. If you're struggling at work, you're struggling in relationship, whatever it is. Do you want to spend the rest of your life, your professional life, 
only knowing what you are capable of. Or don't, would it be exciting to pour yourself into the family that God's given you and then say, God, I want to see what you can do in this other arena as I release control and trust you more. As I honor your priorities, I want to see, will you honor my sacrifice? Do you think he would do that? Now, God. It would be so scary for some of you to leave work early. (laughs) It was for me. The idea of losing a sale over like an extra couple hours with your family just causes you to cringe. But just think, what might God do when you show him you can be trusted? That you're actually serious about cheating the right people and trusting him for the outcome. That's what Daniel did. Verses 9 and 10 say this. God caused the official to show favor and sympathy for Daniel. Now look at this, verse 10. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the king, my boss is going to be upset, who has assigned your food and drink. Look at this. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. This is like, this is like a total corporation. In other words, <laughs> Daniel's boss is like, I'm open to your suggestions, but I'm worried about my own head. <laughs> Because he's responsible for Daniel's friends looking good and being productive. By the way, that's, that, uh, do you guys know that secret? That's the only thing your boss actually cares about. He doesn't care how many hours you put in. He cares that you're productive so that his boss is happy. You get this? And this is genius because what Daniel suggests is, he doesn't just say, I'm not doing it. He just says, well, let's take a test. Look at verse 11. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, verse 12, please Test your servants for how long? Ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who ate the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. He's like, set up a little taste test here. Verse 14. So he agreed to this, and let's read together, tested them for ten days. You know, you know what I love about Daniel? I love this. Only, only kids do this. Again, he's like, probably like 17 years old. He trusted his heavenly father so completely. He said, I'm going to put this to the test. Enough talk, let's get practical. And he offers his prison boss an alternative. He says, can you just give me 10 days to try something different? Because I want to honor God, but I'm also respectful of your authority. And because of God's favor, look what happens. Look at verse 15. Read this. This is amazing. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nursed than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Now God. Daniel trusted God. Daniel stuck his neck out and chose to do something counter to the culture he was living in. He put his priorities to the test and now God. Verse 18. At the end of the time set up by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. Now this is amazing. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. Verse 20, don't miss this. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them, can we read this out loud? He found them what? Ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. You catch this. Daniel takes a 10-day test. He says, I'm going to trust God and give my commitment where his priorities are. And what's the result? 
His work is found not five, not seven, not nine, ten times better than anyone in the entire kingdom. Now, God. If you took a test for ten days, let's, let's make it actually in our context, let's make it ten weeks because that's about how long it takes to form a habit. Ten days is not much. Do you think God could be trusted to bring balance to your relationships, to your work, to your family life? Do you, do you think that could happen? I, I want to challenge you with this because honestly, if you knew the payoff, if I guaranteed you, will be ten times greater than anything you could do on your own, would you do it? I want to challenge you with this and be real practical. I'll close here just to give you practical. Because if you don't apply this on Monday morning, this is just like a you know, little Bible story. They say, psychologists say, I'm extra biblical here, psychologists say it typically takes about three months, that's 12 weeks, for a major lifestyle to become a habit. For instance, if you want to get in shape and everything, you can go to the gym for 10 straight days, but if you take a week off, you know what happens, right? You just don't go back, it fades away. But if you do something for 10 weeks straight, it actually becomes habit forming, mainly because you have to have to reorient your whole environment, your schedule got changed, and honestly, it's more inconvenient to go back than it is just to keep your new lifestyle up. You also start seeing results in 10 weeks as opposed to 10 days. And when it starts affecting those around you for the positive, you want to stay committed. Because you look at Mary and say, hey, things, good things are happening here. If God has put a finger <laughs> on a vulnerable spot, okay, in your marriage, I talked to someone this morning who was, was saying that, in your parenting, in your family life that needs attention, would you be willing to take a 10-week test to see what God could do in your life? Would you be willing to get serious? And actually, may, maybe it's talking to your boss about this. Notice Daniel doesn't like storm into his boss and say, I'm done with this, I'm not doing it. He doesn't, he doesn't stage a hunger strike. He doesn't ask for expectations to be set lower. Can I just get out a little early? No. He becomes 10 times more productive. Would your boss be willing to make adjustments if he knew you'd be 10 times more productive? This is a sacrifice that you make. Real candidly, um, a lot of people like to kind of blame their boss. Don't blame your boss. Don't blame your work. It is your choice. If you are young, if you're in your 20s, I don't want to mean to be hard on you, but if you are a 20-something, you're in your first job, you're not married, you don't have responsibilities, this is not an excuse to slack, okay? Right now, some of you who are in your 20s, you're tuned out because you're like, I don't relate to this because, honestly, the plague of the older generation is workaholism. I think the plague of the younger generation is entitlement. I talk to so many 20-somethings who have this naive Pollyanna view of work that it should just be fun and rewarding all the time and fulfill all my dreams come true. No, that's why it's called work. It is not always fun. Okay, now, that, now look at this. All the 60-somethings are like, yeah! <laughs> in fact, most times it's just work. And early on in your career, sometimes you just got to put in hours and say, yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and show respect and earn trust. It's not automatic. The example of Daniel is not an excuse to be lazy or uncommitted or, or feel entitled. You may need to put in some hours and show your employer you can be trusted enough to cheat. All right? So if you're, you're, in, a, you're in a job, you're putting in 40, 50 hours a week, that's just like, like kind of it's like normal. So don't go into your boss and say, I've been praying about this thinking I'm coming in around 11.30, I'm going to rock out of here around 4 and go to the gym. I want it in balance. <laughs> Don't say, where's God, when he fires you, okay? <laughs> you have to earn trust. Trust is earned an inch at a time. 
and it's lost a mile a minute. So you put in your time, you honor your commitment, and who God has put in charge of you, and you show them you can be trusted. But then, if you have those kind of multiple responsibilities, you need to talk to your boss. Not only that, would you be willing to ask for feedback from those who are closest in your life who this affects and, cheat, and, and feels cheated most? In our crisis moment three years ago, I learned to ask Colleen, to, and I actually still ask her to this day, I actually say, hey, how, how are we doing? How specifically uh, am I doing? <laughs> She now has permission to speak into my life, and I value her honest feedback. It's hilarious because I used to avoid that situation like the plague, I, right? I didn't want that conversation on any class, and now I find myself bringing it up. I'm like, I'm so middle-aged. It's unbelievable. Finally, would you be willing to pay the price to trust God and make some changes that demonstrate your commitment to, to God's priorities? Um, I, I'll close by just sharing a, a couple other things that I have made lifestyle changes over the years that God just seems to be blessing. It's unique to my little family deal. Yours are going to be different, but just get you thinking about this. One of the things I do is I limit travel. Um, I used to get all sorts of, um, you know, invitation to speak uh, at other churches, conferences, like, you know, that sort of thing. And I, I used to love to do that because it's great to meet new people, all that. I always said yes, and it always meant I'd have to travel and stay overnight, and it took a huge toll on my family. I'd be gone for like just a day or two, but when we had that second kid, all of a sudden Colleen is like outmanned. She's going to zone defense. And all of a sudden, I'd come home, and she'd like be shot. So when we had Dell, we said, you know what, we're going to put a moratorium for a full year. No travel, no outside speaking. And I realize some of you might have jobs where that's a necessity. But these are, these are boundaries for my little family. But for a full year, I just said no to every travel, every speaking opportunity. And it was hard. But all of a sudden, incredible, I realized it was not just blessing my marriage. You know who else it was benefiting? You guys. <laughs> my church family. You guys are my priority too. <laughs> All right, honestly, if I, cheat, if I travel during the week, my family gets shortchanged. If I travel on weekends, guess who gets shortchanged? My church family. So after that first year, I found my marriage relationship deeper, my relationship with you guys deeper, and all of a sudden I'm like, I say no all the time. I'm like addicted to saying no, no, no. It's not even, a, it's kind of gotten, people just stop asking me because they're like, he's not going to do it. I, th how does that feel? I mean, to know I, that I love you guys and I choose you guys before others in the body. I say no more than I say yes. One of the reasons is because of you guys. Doesn't that feel good to know that? That's how my kids feel. That's how they feel. The second thing I do is I aggressively schedule overnight getaways with my wife about every 12 weeks. Um, we don't always hit that, but that's our goal. Every couple months or three months, really. Um, it started with, 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 you know, two. This is two of us. Now there are four, but about 10 years, it's back to two. So we figure, let's get some practice in between here. If you're married... This is crucial. There will be all sorts of reasons right now that married couples all over our campuses are going like this. Oh, that's nice. I wish I had that kind of money. It's not about money. You're like, oh, then it's a schedule. I wish we had the time. We can't find time. You never will. You choose to make the time. What do you have to say no to? Most, most have good intentions but, but lack kind of the follow-through. And some of you are like, well, can't you just like go out on a date now and then to movies? Yeah, go for it. I'm talking about a getaway. You retreat. 48 hours, unplug from work, unplug from kids, unplug so the two of you focus on one-on-one. -on -one. It's called rec you know, recreation, recreation. You've got to get those leaves green again because the stresses of everyday work and kids and all of that, it will brown them. Kids are like locusts. They will eat your leaves, berries, and strip the bark off. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. I don't want to be like... <laughs> You've got to get away for your good. And for theirs, okay? But we can't afford a hotel. Stay at a friend. Sleep in your car. Just go. Get out. 
We can't afford us there. Turn on Nickelodeon. Just leave them there. Just They won't even notice. Just do it. And do it in advance. Gosh. Now, I used to wait until we were totally burned out. And Colleen was like shooting lasers. I'd get home. She'd be like, hi. It's like, all right, maybe we need a time out here. Too late. Too late, guys. Now, I literally, as I like three you know, months down the road, what am I preaching on? I'm booking my three-month getaway with Colleen. And I go up to her, and I'm like, hey, what are you doing in July? And she's like, really? I'm this like Don Juan, man. I'm this hero. Who what lady doesn't want this? Guys, you got to step up. If I need to talk guy talk here for a minute, it's like, you know how you change your oil every 3,000 miles? Are you supposed to? Now, you, you could ignore that, and you just wait for the little red light to come on your dash, but it costs a whole lot more at that point, doesn't it? Because that neglect erodes the engine. Sometimes it seizes it. What you're doing is preventative maintenance on your relationship so that you keep it running smoothly and avoid catastrophic failure down the road. I love it. Sheldon's like, did he just compare me to a car? What is that? <laughs> Third thing I do is I have dinner with my kids uh, pretty much uh, every night and go to their games. And again, I don't know if that's workable in your context, but it is in ours. Dinner's just like a big deal. We do it as a family. You can tell I love to eat. Colleen, my wife, did not have that tradition growing up. It was pretty much name it and claim it. You get in, everyone eats at the counter and takes whatever they need and just goes. That's how it is in a lot of families. And honestly, can I just say you're missing out if it is in yours. Um, over dinner is kind of where it happens for us as a family. It is the one time that we actually pray together. We talk about each other's day. We laugh. We tell stories. Sometimes we fight. But it's family time. It's sacred time in our house, and it's evolving. Um, we're just like laying down the laws right now because my little guy got a DSI. You know what those things are? Yeah. It's like basically he dials into this thing, and he disappears. And we're like, dude, Indiana Jones is not coming to dinner. Leave it. you got new wrinkle, new boundary as it kind of goes along. But I'm at my, uh, my kids' games, and it's not because I'm super dad. One of this is the legacy, honestly, uh, that my own father gave me. Um, I played, um, this is kind of funny, because <laughs> having my dad at my games, I played baseball and hockey growing up. My passion exceeded my skill level. Can we say that? Um, but basically, my dad was at every practice, every game, and it was this source of outsized self-confidence growing up. Because I would be sitting there on the bench most of the time in high school. I'd play there. I'd sit on the bench, and my dad would be up in the bleachers with a video camera on me going like, hey, awesome, awesome. Like, yeah, I'm going to go warm up now, you know, kind of thing. And then I would, like, pinch run the seventh inning, you know, when, like, the game is lost. My dad's, like, why, you know, watching. And he'd put together a highlight tape of me getting thrown out, like, stealing. Out of way, I'm so proud of you, man. That was, like, the biggest, I, I believed I was a superstar, <laughs> And it meant everything. It meant everything. Dinner, sports, those are high investment times with your kids, parents. Make the time to be all there, and you will see incredible returns in the lives of your family. Uh, do, you, do you know my spiritual I'll be candid. I was just like, it's exposed. I'm just going to say it. Do you know what my spiritual goal is for my children? Honestly, I don't make a fun of it, but I had a couple come up to me the other day. They were brand new, and they said, Pastor, I just want to ask you, what are your spiritual goals for your kids? And I was like, well, memorize Ecclesiastes. You know, no. It just... I gave the funny answer because I've seen so many pastors sacrifice their family for the church. Right? That's where you get the, the, the PK, the pastor's kid syndrome. We do it under holy rationalization. Well, this is all for Jesus. So, sorry, Junior. Here's my great spiritual goal for my kids. Do you remember the movie Ferris Bueller? Remember Ferris Bueller? Thank you. Ferris's buddy was named Cameron. Remember that? He wore the Red Wings jersey. And Cameron's dad had a red sports car. 
They steal it, and at the end, they're turning back the odometer on the sports car, and Cameron stands there, kicking the hood of his father's sports car, going, you loved her more than me, you loved her more than me, you loved her more than me. You know what my great spiritual goal is for my kids? That when they turn 17, they're not going to be standing on the side of this church, kicking it, going, you loved her more than me, you loved her more than me. That's my big goal. (laughs) Because the reality is, so many kids who grow up in the church end up hating Jesus and resenting the church because they stole their father away. And they got the prime cut. And I'm like, they may not know Ecclesiastes, but that ain't going to happen in my family. Because I want them to love Jesus when they're 16. I want them to know that they were more important than the church. I'm just saying, I'm just being honest with you. And the fourth thing I'm doing is I'm trusting God to fill the gaps. Because if you take this 10-week test, if you start drawing boundaries and reshuffling your priorities to put your family ahead of your work. You know what it'll do? It'll force you have to just trust God and be on your knees and asking him to fill. It will increase your prayer life because there will be things you have to let go of and just let God take care of. I used to think every decision required my input. Every detail needed my review. Every ministry depended on me. And not only was that egocentric, I believe it was godless. Godless. That's strong language. I get that. But I realized my believing I need to be involved in everything wasn't just, I was discounting God's leadership of all of it. With, with, with the time I've freed up by cheating the church, I've learned to rely on God more because he's got to show up. He's got to move. He's got to work powerfully, whether I'm here at not, or not, because this is his church. It's not mine. Colleen is the wife of Tim. Liquid is the bride of Christ. There we go. And I finally believe this that he can be trusted to take care of her without me. Thank you very much. So I may not be accessible sometimes out of Sundays, but I I talk to God about you a whole lot during the week. I don't know if that means anything to you. Does that mean anything to you? That I pray for you. I talk to God about you. I really do. I tell him about our needs as a church family, but mostly I, I trust him to lead us. I trust him to use the people who who lead us. I I hope that means something to you because it represents spiritual growth in my life. I don't know what that looks like in yours. If you're a mom, um, maybe you cheat your your spouse or yourself because your focus is on the kids. Maybe it's time just to let go of them a little bit and let God fill in the gaps. Your children were his children first. They're just loners. (laughs) They are on loan to you for a time. And their heavenly father can be trusted to provide for all their needs. If, if you're slammed at work and you cheat your family to serve your career, do you really believe God could fill in the gaps at your office? That things will get along actually fine even if you're not there around the clock? Just don't show up on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday for a few days and you'll see how replaceable you are. Only you can be the father or mother your kid needs and only the husband or wife your spouse deserves. Only you. Those are four things. They're habits of, I I call them habits of the heart that keep my family, my marriage healthy, my kids happy, the leaves green. What would that look like in your life? Is it it getting home at a certain time? Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's shuffling your, your accounts so you can make your kids games. Or maybe drawing a line in the sand when it comes to travel. Just setting limits so your spouse feels like they're getting what they need during the week. First fruits, not leftovers. The story of Daniel, it's amazing. It's a principle. It teaches us that God honors those who put their faith fully in him. 
Jesus summarized it this way. He said, seek what? First, his kingdom. There's a priority here. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and what? Let's read this together. All these things will be given to you as well. In other words, guys, it's a matter of priorities. If you begin ordering your world in a way that aligns with your Heavenly Father's priorities and then you trust him to fill in the gaps, he guarantees he will bless and honor that. Imagine cutting back at work and actually seeing, seeing results grow. Imagine seeing relationships heal and deepen. Let's just face it. One day, you will come home from the office, home from school. I'll come home from church for the last time. In my case, I will preach my last sermon. I'm actually hoping that I get to preach my own funeral. That's my, that's my dream. That I will stand up here, I will deliver the eulogy, I will get down into the box and close the lid. Good night, everybody. Nobody finishes work and says, I think I'd like to spend the last day on earth with my coworkers. No one says, gather my gym buddies around. Your last day may be 65 when you retire or it may be 35 when you're laid off. Either way, you're coming home. And what or who you come home to will be determined by what or who you choose to cheat between now and then. So choose to cheat well. I want to urge you to take a page from Daniel. Make up your mind. Resolve in your heart that you'll honor God's priorities Look for the now God factor. Expect that he will actually show up and show favor when you sacrifice in his name. And finally, take a 10-week test. Mark that on your calendar. If you're married, sit down with your spouse and discuss exactly what could this look like? What if we actually did this? And then get started. In 10 weeks, it will be spring. New growth, Easter, resurrection. Can you imagine your relationship being resurrected, trusting. Could God restore and bring back to life that which is dead, just like he did his son Jesus? Test him. Trust him. You will be glad you did. I know I am, and my family is as well. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Can we all stand together, all of our campuses? Let's just stand. We want to um, open our hearts to God here. Father, right now, we, um, we, we actually are standing looking skyward towards you, asking for your favor to come down on us, Father, not because of anything we've done or deserved, but out of your grace and mercy, give us ears to hear right now, Father God. I thank you for the example of Daniel. Thank you for his courage. We are, are kneeling, Lord. He's our teacher. And we're humbled, Father, that someone would take you at your word and believe you. And Father, I ask uh, forgiveness uh, for all the ways that I have wronged my family, I've wronged people in this church, Father, I thank you for forgiveness in Jesus and I ask that you'd wash away my sins. Father, we just take a moment to collectively offer, offer those wrongs up to you as well. Lord, you've said if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We claim that promise in Jesus. But Father, I ask right now for your Holy Spirit. Send it now strongly on every man and woman, Lord, as they leave this place. Let them be encouraged with hope, the hope of resurrection. I thank you for the relationships in this church and I pray that you will grow it strong and every ounce of glory will go to your resurrected son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name we pray. All God's people said, amen.